Hey there, Converge Nation. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you're watching from around the DFW Metroplex across these United States. Listen, our VFAM in Maryland, uh, 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 we like to call it the DMV, DC, Maryland, Virginia. We've got our virtual family in Georgia, in Arkansas, across Texas, across North America, South America, in particular Brazil. Come on, somebody. Bom dia to the bang. And uh, also uh, in Australia, you guys are watching from down under, you're watching from across Europe, you're watching from Africa as well. So we'd like to say thank you so much for tuning in uh, to Converge Online. We are truly honored and humbled uh, that we get to serve you in this capacity. And we're so grateful. We're so grateful that you tune in, not just every now and then, but consistently each Sunday. Uh, we look forward to continuing uh, to serve you in this capacity as the Lord allows us. Uh, listen, we're going to dive into the word here momentarily, but before we do that, a couple of important items. Today is the first Sunday of May, and that means we will celebrate communion at the end of today's message. So make sure you have your communion elements ready so we can celebrate the Lord's table together. Acknowledge the finished work of the cross, uh, the finished work that Jesus accomplished 2,000 years ago so that you and I could live in communion with our Heavenly Father. So that's immediately following the message today. Actually, it's going to be a part of the message as we, as we close out. I also want to give you some quick updates uh, coming up in the month of May. I'm super excited about this because Sunday, May 9th, is Mother's Day, and our very own My Mocha Princess, Pastor Wendy, has a life-giving word in season that will minister to every woman uh, on Sunday, May 9th. So you want to save the date. You want to mark your calendars. On May 23rd, I believe it is, that is graduation Sunday. Listen, we're always intentional about giving honor to whom honor is due here at Converge, and we want to celebrate all of our graduates, high school and college, and even uh, postgraduate uh, 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 level. We want to honor you and celebrate you and acknowledge this major academic milestone in your life. So that is Sunday, May 23rd. And as you know, uh, May 30th is Memorial Day weekend. We'll be celebrating and honoring our veterans. Uh, let's shift over to the month of June because this is very, very important. In June, contrary to what we communicated uh, the last couple of weeks, we will actually be resuming in-person gatherings but instead of once a month, the first Saturday of the month, we will be meeting weekly each Saturday of the month, beginning Saturday, I believe it's June 5th. If I got the date wrong, the correct date will be at the bottom of the screen. But beginning Saturday, June 5th at 5 p.m., we'll be worshiping at Preston Trail Community Church at the McKinney Campus located at 1611 Wilmoth Road in McKinney. So make plans now to attend. Listen, I got the most precious text today from one of our members and she was asking, hey, Pastor Ray, when are we going to resume in-person services? And I gave her that information. Listen, first Saturday in June, we're going to be there. We're really excited. And then she texted back to say that her twin boys were so excited to know that we're going to resume in June because they said we're not going to any other church except Uncle Ray's church. And that just really warmed my heart to know that there are families 
uh, that are ready to, 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 to connect in community and to experience biblical fellowship, koinonia. And uh, so we're excited about that. More information will be forthcoming about our summer schedule. But that resumes uh, the first Saturday in June, 5 p.m., Preston Trail in McKinney. And then Father's Day, listen, is going to be that third that third Saturday in June, which would be the 19th, I believe. Uh, not only is it Father's Day, but listen, this is going to be historic for us because it will be our first Father's Day and baby dedications. Uh, there will be our first baby dedications as Converge Church. Uh, so if you have had a little one recently or you have some little ones who have never been dedicated to the Lord, uh, where you've made this public commitment to God and your church family to raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord, uh, we want to be a part of that. We want to celebrate this moment with your family. Make sure you send us an email as soon as possible so we can add you to the count uh, for our Father's Day baby dedication service. Send your email to admin admin at weareconverge.com. Now, historically, Father's Day for us has been babies and bow ties. That's always been the theme. Dads have worn their bow ties and we've dedicated your little ones. Uh, we're going to go with a new theme, right? Because we are Converge. And so we're being creative. And this is what we want to do. We want to hear from you about what that new theme could be going forward. Our annual Father's Day theme. Something creative, something clever, something catchy. All right. So it used to be babies and bow ties. Uh, help us think of something creative that we can do this year. And the winning suggestion, the winning suggestion gets a very special prize. Okay. So we want to get your ideas, uh, send those to us via email to admin at weareconverge.com. I think that's all I have by way of announcements. Additional information will be going forward uh, via email and then also on all of our social media platforms. All right, listen, we're going to dive into the word today. It is week four of our current sermon series, Church in the wild, where we're discovering what it looks like to follow after the example, after the model, after the pattern that our savage Jesus has given us. Amen. A pattern where we walk in victory, where we are overcomers, where we are triumphant. In fact, I love what first John chapter four declares of chapter five and verse four, that whatever is born of God overcomes the world and that whatever is you. Whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Even our faith, you carry within you your DNA, your spiritual composition, the very lifeblood, the very Zoe, the very life of this savage Jesus. And we're going to be walking these things out in the weeks and the days to come in Jesus name, just as uh, Romans declared the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. We are the church in the wild, called to be above only and not beneath, called to be the head and not the tail, called to be blessed as we go out and blessed as we come in, that our basket and our storehouse is blessed, that the work of our hands is blessed. And the promise is that when the enemy comes against you, when the enemy comes against me, when the enemy comes against you and yours, me and mine, he must flee before us seven ways. 
This is the savage promise that we have from the scripture. And it's high time that we started walking, walking according to the promises of God. And those promises are the result of covenant. You and I have a covenant with God, a covenant that was sealed by the blood of Jesus. And so we walk out what God has promised for us in this season. I'm getting excited already. Let's pray. Come on, somebody. And we're going to dive into the word together. Touch. In fact, before we pray, touch one or two people. Slap your baby. Hit him upside the head. Come on, somebody. Get excited. High five your husband. Come on. Kiss him on the cheek. Whatever y'all do. Come on. Right now in this moment, let him know you're playing small does not serve the world. Yeah, your playing small does not serve the world. And that is the tone and that is the tenor of this series. God wants to stir us up. The Father wants to provoke us unto good works. He wants to move us out of our comfort zones, out of our complacency, out of our indifference into meaningful kingdom work. Amen. God wants to do. He wants to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you could ever ask or imagine. And he wants to do it through you. He wants for you to be his conduit. He wants for you to be his channel. So the, this, the season for playing small is over. And God wants you, listen, my friend, <laughs> dear friend of mine in law enforcement, and he said this is what they teach them. In law enforcement, he said, you don't rise to the occasion you default to your last level of training and competence. Your last level of training, competence, and preparation. You don't just magically rise to the occasion. Where did I summon, where did I summon this courage? No, no, he said they teach them in law enforcement that you default to your last level of training, expertise, and competence. And what God wants to challenge us to do in this season. He wants to challenge us in this season to study. To prepare because your time will come. Those are the words of Abraham Lincoln. I will study. I will prepare and my time will come. So the Lord wants you to take on this posture. He wants you to assume this mindset that Jesus had. Let this mindset be your motivation. He was a savage Jesus. Let us pray and we'll dive into the word together. Father, we love you. And we honor you and we approach your word this morning with great humility and reverence. Holy Spirit, you are the teacher. Anoint these lips of clay. And Lord, I ask you to make my tongue as the pen of a ready writer and give me utterance in the Holy Ghost. I thank you, Lord, for the free flow of revelation in this moment. Father, even for the manifestation and the activation of the gifts of the Spirit, uh, that I might minister your word in season as you allow me, as you equip and empower me to do, I trust you for it now in the strong name of Jesus and everybody who believes and agrees, shout amen. Come on, shout a good amen right where you are in Jesus' name. Listen, Converge, we're going to pick up where we left off. It is week four of uh, church in the wild, and we're going to examine the life of Joseph. Uh, we're going to attempt <laughs> once again to do a deep dive of Joseph's life, and we're going to examine these 10 tests that God used to perfect and mature Joseph. 
we, we said that God has this blueprint that he uses uh, as he interacts in human affairs. And that is simply, number one, understand the plan. Uh, say it with me. Understand the plan. Uh, follow the pattern and receive the promise. Now, embedded in the pattern of God is the process of God. And God uses his process to develop us. And it's really a development of our character. Because everything that God gives us, he gives in seed form. In fact, God created you to be a solution to a problem that exists in the earth. Because everything God creates Everything God created, he created to be the solution to a problem that exists in the earth. That means when he created you, you were not an afterthought. You were not an accident. You were not a mistake. You were not an eventuality. No, you were ordained of God. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 declares that you are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance that you should walk in. So when God thought of you, when God imagined who you would be, it was carefully thought out, uh, uh, methodically and meticulously designed. You are a designer, a designer original. Unfortunately, the sad tragedy is that you were created a designer original, but so many unfortunately die a cheap copy, a cheap imitation of something and someone else. And God wants you to discover your originality uh, once again. And as we look to the story, uh, I think the Lord will help us understand what discovering that originality looks like when God himself intervenes in the affairs of your life and begins to peel back the layers. Hey, when he begins to remove the fig leaves. I was speaking to a men's conference recently and I told him we've become too comfortable with our fig leaves. And God wants us to come before him once again, just as we are, with transparency and vulnerability. And, and, and because it's in that place that God does the work of transformation, not who we pretend to be, but who he created us to be. Can I go a step further? And says that God and say that God will never bless who you pretend to be. God can only bless. God can only anoint. God can only equip. God can only empower who you really are. And he's saying today, bring your whole self, all of who you are, faults, flaws, insecurities, idiosyncrasies, inadequacies, all of who you are. Come just as you are. Take off the fig leaves and I will meet you in that place of authenticity, in that place of sincerity, in that place of brokenness. And that's why the psalmist prayed in Psalm 51. You desire truth in the inward parts. He's talking about transparency. The scripture declares that Adam and Eve were both naked and unashamed. And that's where God wants to meet you in your place of vulnerability, authenticity, without shame. I don't know why you're going down that road. But as we pick up the story of Joseph, we're seeing uh, the dream, and we're seeing the dream carrier in seed form. The seed must be planted. <laughs> and that's part of the challenge, y'all. Uh, 
that sometimes when we're planted by God, it seems like we've been buried by our circumstances. Mm. I'll say that again. There are seasons of your life when God will plant you in the soil of purpose, in the soil of destiny. But to your flesh and to your carnal man and your carnal nature, it's going to look like you've been buried. But the truth is, you've only been planted. And there is, come on, there is a resurrection coming. There, just as that seed must die and germinate in order to actualize its full potential, God is taking you, he's taking me through that same process you're in seed form. So when we're introduced to Joseph here in Genesis chapter 37, Joseph is, in fact, in seed form. Uh, let's begin reading. Genesis chapter number 37 at verse number one. It says, now Jacob dwelt in the land where his father was a stranger in the land of Canaan. And this is the history of Jacob, Joseph, uh, the history of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was feeding the flock with his brothers. And the lad was with the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives, plural. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to his father. So Joseph had a little tattletale in him. Mm -hmm. uh, he would say things probably that he shouldn't have said. He would tell on his brothers, which didn't win him any popularity contests. Come on, somebody. Verse three. Now, verse two speaks to, to Joseph's immaturity. It speaks to his naivety. It speaks to his youth. And, and so his brothers would do things in the field and maybe that were unbecoming. And guess what Joseph would do? He would come and tell his dad. Uh, verse 3 says, now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children. Bump the brakes right there. Uh, uh, one, of the, one of the biggest mistakes you can make as a parent is to choose favorites. Is to have favorites. The favorite son or the favorite daughter. The favorite son and the favorite daughter because of their performance, because they're smart, because they're athletic, because they're the pretty one. And here in the scripture, what the father is doing is he's creating and cultivating an environment for sibling rivalry and for jealousy. In fact, Jacob's family is a picture, uh, the poster for family dysfunction. Because these 12 sons are the result of two wives <laughs> and two concubines. Come on, somebody. Two wives and their two assistants. Out come 12 sons. Needless to say, there's this tension and this rivalry in the house. And of the sons, he picks his favorite. And his name is Joseph, who just happens to be a tattletale. That's a whole recipe for a hot mess. But listen to this. God can still use us in the midst of our dysfunction. You know the progression. We talk about it all the time here at Converge. Your environment, Jacob's family, will determine what you're exposed to. Dysfunction, jealousy, rivalry, animosity. And your, what you're exposed to will determine what? Your experiences, we're going to get into some of Joseph's experiences and your experiences, if they're not dealt with in a healthy way, 
If they're not redeemed under the blood of Jesus, it can lead to unhealthy expectations of God, of yourself, and of others. All of this is unfolding in Joseph's environment, the environment into which he was born. Verse 4, but when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers. Listen, there was a distinction. There was, there was this uh, disparity. There was this difference in the way that Jacob dealt with Joseph and how he dealt with his other sons. And his sons knew it. And his sons saw it. And it's easy to point fingers at Joseph's brothers, but this is the toxic environment that was created by poor parenting and bad decision-making. And, and I guess his father sort of encouraged this sort of thing, including his son, his favorite son, Joseph, telling on his brothers. Now, now let's be fair, let's be honest. If you're one of Joseph's brothers, your father's Jacob, your father Jacob's treatment, it's going to rub you the wrong way. It's going to come, also, come across as unfair. And this is what's happening in the house. And so the account continues in verse 5. It, it, it's amazing that in the midst of the dysfunction, <laughs> God gives Joseph a dream. Uh, come on, somebody. There's some of you on the other side of this camera, on the other side of this lens, on the other side of this broadcast, and on the inside of you, your condition and your situation may not have been perfect, but you have carried, you have incubated, you have nursed this dream your whole life because God doesn't only plant dreams in perfect situations. He doesn't only entrust dreams to perfect people who have it all together. Yes, God still has a way of depositing dreams in dysfunctional places, in dysfunctional lives. And, and so, and so the, the, the text picks up with all this stuff going on around Joseph and God gives him a dream. I want to encourage you if you've looked at your life circumstances and you look at life's events, but you're carrying something that seems so much bigger than you, don't invalidate it and don't allow anyone else to invalidate that dream because it could be divine in origin because God deposits a dream in Joseph's heart in the midst of of his familial and relational dysfunction. Verse 5 says, Now Joseph had a dream, huh? and he told it to his brothers. Another signal, right, that there's an opportunity for this young man to grow up. <laughs> he ain't ready for this dream. Because the first thing, I think it's the first rule of communication, know your audience. And so here's Joseph in his excitement. God gives him a dream and he turns and tells the dream to brothers who hate, who despise, who abhor and detest him. Uh, it, 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 it helps us understand Joseph's state of mind at 17 that he just wasn't ready for the dream. And may I submit to you, may I submit to you 
that the dream is for an appointed time. And God has a way of taking us through a process so he can grow us. I want you to hear this converge. He can grow us into the size of the dream because the dream is so much bigger than you. The dream is so much bigger than me. The dream is so much bigger than 17-year-old Joseph. And that's why you've got to let the dream marinate sometimes. You've got to let the dream grow. And you've got to allow yourself to grow into the size of the dream. Somebody say capacity. Do I have the capacity to steward the dream? It's evident that at 17, Joseph did not have the capacity to steward the dream. So God takes him on a 13-year process. Understand the plan. Follow the pattern. And within the pattern is the process of God so that you and I can receive the promise. You know the story. We don't have to read this verse by verse. First thing that happens is he tells his brothers, hey, you guys are all going to bow to me. Come on, somebody. It's called, it's called pride. The reason God takes us through that first test called pride is because if, if we haven't allowed God to develop Christ-like character in us, the dream will become our identity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know y'all hate me. I know y'all don't like me. But guess what? God showed me a dream. And guess what? God proved to me how much he loves me. And he's going to make all of y'all bow down to me. That's the way some of us are with the dream that God gives us. We become overtaken. We're overrun by the size of the dream. And we use it as an opportunity to one up the people who may not have a dream as big as ours. And so God has to take us through the pride test. And the pride test comes when the dream comes. It will reveal the nature and the condition of our heart. And why is the pride test so important? The scripture says pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. <laughs> Just before a person's world falls apart, the, the posture of the heart is usually pride. You can't tell me nothing. They're no longer teachable, no longer seeking wise counsel. And so when the dream comes, the first thing that God has to do is to remove pride. Hey, listen, you're going to bow to me. And number two, mommy and daddy going to bow to me as well. Because I'm not just Jacob's favorite, I'm God's favorite. Listen to me, in my lifetime, I have met people, so many people, who had compelling visions from God. The problem is they allowed pride to overtake them. And this is what they did. They thought the dream came to be self-serving. When every dream from God is others-centered. The dream is not yours to use or for you to use people. The dream comes in order for you to serve and to serve others. And it's, it's obvious at this point in Joseph's life that he doesn't understand that. 
Listen, if you have a dream and it's driven and motivated by selfish ambition, listen, you need to pump the brakes now. Because you will miscarry the dream that God has entrusted to you. Because every dream that comes from God has other people on the other end of it. Waiting for you to simply be a conduit of God's grace and God's love and God's kindness. No dream from God is ever born to be self-serving. And so here is the pride test, and he fails it miserably. The story continues because his brothers are enraged, and they, they, they plot to kill him. They conspire to kill him, and they, they change their minds. We're not going to kill him. And what we're going to do instead is sell him into slavery. And, 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 and if he's gone from this place and, and there's no way this dream <laughs> could ever see the light of day. It's called the pit test. The pit test. Genesis chapter 37 verses 12 through 28. So much I could say about that. But on your journey, think it not strange on your journey when God has to strip you of your pride. And one of the ways he strips you of your pride is with the pit test. And the pit test happens when the enemy comes against you. And sometimes the enemy <laughs> can come disguised as your own family. Sometimes the enemy can come at disguised as a confidant. Sometimes the enemy can show up in your inner circle. But that is the pit test. And the pit test comes uh, when the enemy, when the enemy comes against the dream. And then notice what happens. His brothers throw him into a pit and then they sell him into slavery. Uh, they thought, they thought the dream would die with Joseph being sold. Let me, tell you, let me tell you about dreams and about the pit test. I want you to hear this. I want you to hear this. Divine opportunities often attract demonic opposition. I'll say that again. Divine opportunities often attract demonic opposition. That's why Paul said, uh, I believe it's in 1 Corinthians, that there is an effectual door of opportunity open to me, but there are many adversaries. Think it not strange that when you set out on the journey of living out your dream, that it attracts opposition and adversaries. Here's why. They're going to show up in one of three ways. Number one, there are going to be those that you encounter. Adversaries and the opposition that shows up, number one, where it's dismissive. Ah, that's just rape. That's just Joseph. Yeah, he's always dreaming about something. And there are going to be people on the journey to your dream. As you find yourself in the pit test who are going to dismiss your dream. Be careful who you share your dream with. This is all a part of becoming a savage Christ follower. There are going to be people as you set out to do God's will, who are going to dismiss you? And that's where a lot of you stop. Because you entrusted something that was precious and valuable to someone who you thought was a family member, someone who you thought was a confidant, someone who you thought was a counselor, and they dismissed your dream. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they go dreaming again. 
And that's where many dreams die, when the dream is dismissed. Uh, the, second, the second group is the people who will despise the dream. People who will hate you because you have the audacity to dream. People who look at your circumstances and say, who does she think he, she is? Who does he think he is? And they will hate you because you had the audacity to dare to dream. And they'll hate you for it, just like Joseph's brothers. Left unchecked, this, this feeling of being despised soon grows into the third phase of the adversary, the third phase of opposition, and that is when people conspire to destroy the dream. Uh, let me rephrase that. They conspire to destroy you because if they can succeed at destroying you, they believe the dream will die with you. And that's what Joseph's brothers did. Let's destroy Joseph. Let's throw him in the pit. Let's not just throw him in the pit. Let's sell him into slavery. Because where he's going, ain't no way that dream can come to pass. And there will be people that you encounter on the road to purpose, on the road to destiny, on the road to fulfilling your dream, who will not only dismiss the dream, who will not only despise the dream and despise you for being a dreamer, but there are people who will try to destroy you. Because they believe that in destroying you, the dream will die with you. Let me tell you how some people try to destroy you. <laughs> they, try to dis they try to manipulate and manage the narrative about you. <laughs> I'm talking about the indirect attacks that they throw at you. The things they say about you to others. Because they can't control you, they try to control the narrative about you. They try to poison and manipulate what people believe about you because they think that in destroying you, they think that in discrediting you, the dream will die with you. My wife and I have had ample experience with that. People who tried to destroy the dream called City Church and now Converge Church because they thought they could kill the dream by destroying us, by manipulating the narrative about us. They thought that the dream that our big, big God gave us would die because they destroyed us. I don't know who I'm talking to, but whoever you are and wherever you are, if you won't quit, if you won't give up, if you'll just keep putting one foot in front of the other with your eyes stayed on Jesus. I ain't talking about looking to any man, but keeping your eyes stayed on Jesus. That's why the psalmist said, I would have fainted unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Listen to me. You will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living and in the pit, in the pit. There's no use Looking down because all you see is dirt. There's no use looking around because all you see is dirt. When you find yourself in the pit, you have one alternative and that is to look up for your redemption draweth nigh. You can lift up your eyes to the hills from whence cometh your help. All of your help comes from the Lord who made the heavens and made the earth. He neither slumbers. He that keepeth Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. 
And our God will never sleep on your case. He knows right where you are, whether you're in your father's house, whether you're in the pit, whether you're in Potiphar's house, the prison, or the palace. Regardless of your geography, regardless of where you find yourself, the favor of God will locate you right where you are. It's called the pit test. I think I'm going to close here. It's called the pit test. Let me give you perspective about the pit. The pit test <laughs> comes to abort, uh, comes to abort what you could become and what you could birth. Uh, the pit test comes to threaten who you are becoming and what God has ordained you to birth in the earth. I'll say that one more time for good measure. The pit test that comes when your adversary comes, when opposition comes, when resistance comes, comes because it wants to keep you from becoming all that you could be and it wants to keep you from giving birth. He said, well, Pastor Ray, what are you talking about? Touch your neighbor and say, Sarah Connor. Mm -hmm. Touch your neighbor and say, Sarah Connor, Sarah Connor. He said, Pastor Ray, what are you talking about? If any of you have an appreciation for the Terminator franchise, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because in 1984, James Cameron had this brilliant idea that a cyborg would be sent, I believe, from the year 2095. Don't quote me, but he was sent from the year 2095 into the past, 1984, to find a woman named Sarah Connor. Come on, somebody. And the reason he was sent for Sarah Connor, he was sent to terminate Sarah Connor, number one, because of who she would become. And who would she become? She would become the mother of John Connor, what she would birth. She was becoming something because of what she was going to birth. And she was going to birth a son named John Connor who would lead the resistance against the cyborgs. Listen to me. The attack on Sarah Connor was not about the moment. It was not about the present moment. It wasn't about who she was in that moment. It was about who she could become and what she was going to give birth to. May I submit to you that the attacks that have come against you, the resistance that you have, you have, you have pushed back against, the opposition, the adversaries, yes, they were developing Christ-like character in you. Yes, and I quote this often, Pat Riley, when I say adversity, introduces a man to himself. This adversity and the opposition have all come to develop character in you, to introduce you to yourself, but in introducing you to yourself, guess what, baby? He also revealed that the enemy came against you because who you are becoming and what you will give birth to is so significant. I want you to hear this, Converge Nation. It is so significant. It is so powerful that he sends all the forces of hell against you to dismiss the dream, to despise the dream, and ultimately to destroy you 
because in destroying you, he thinks the dream will die with you. But I came here this morning, Converge Church, to declare to you, don't stop, don't quit. Trust in, trust in your strong and your savage Jesus and lean in, lean into his power, his resurrection power that is in you because he that is born of God overcomes the world and all that is in it the lust of the eyes the lust of the flesh the pride of life in fact we are not ignorant of the devil's devices and we declare today that no weapon formed against you will prosper and every tongue that will rise up against you in judgment shall be condemned for those who desire to dismiss for those who desire to despise for those who desire to destroy you Jesus said I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And he says, all you got to do after you've done everything you know to do, just stand, just stand, just stand, just stand. For the battle is not yours, declares the Lord. It's his. The battle belongs to him. So if you find yourself going through a pit test, ah, uh, just remember Sarah Connor, <laughs> because in Terminator, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger's character, the cyborg, is sent to terminate Sarah Connor. But in Terminator 2, come on somebody, <laughs> he flipped the script because what was sent to destroy her now has been sent to protect her. Come on, God is about to turn this thing around for you. Those who tried to destroy you, are now going to be your footstool. That's why the scripture says, ha, when a Lord, when a man finds favor with the Lord, he will make even his enemies his friends. The Lord's going to turn it around. I decree it, I declare it, that those who were once aligned against you, God is going to move upon them and he's going to turn things around and they will serve God's purpose through you in Jesus name. Come on, that's a good place for us to close with communion right where you are. Listen to me. If you, if you find yourself dealing with the pride test, if you find yourself in the pit, this message is for you. Uh, I don't know when we're going to get through all 10 tests. We got through the first two today, but let me just close with scripture. Amen. In Jesus name, as we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper. Glory to God. I'll be reading to you from the Passion Translation in Philippians chapter number two as we prepare to receive communion. Glory to God. Glory to God. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. I'll begin reading at verse number one. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. It says, look at how much encouragement you found in your relationship with the anointed one, Jesus. You are filled to overflowing with his comforting love. You have experienced a deepening friendship with the Holy Spirit and have felt his tender affection and mercy. Who can testify this morning that you have felt his tender affection and his mercy? That's what communion is about. It's a constant reminder of his tender affection and his mercy, which he demonstrated on the cross when he died on our behalf. Verse number two. So I'm asking you, 
What Paul is saying, in light of all that Jesus has done for us, he's asking us. He says, so I'm asking you, friends, that you be joined together in perfect unity with one heart, one passion, and united in love. Walk together with one harmonious purpose and you will fill my heart with unbounded joy. So much I could say about that verse. But listen to what he says in verse 3. I'm talking about the pride test as we prepare for communion. I'm talking about the pit test. Hurdles that we need to overcome. Tests that we need to pass on the way to destiny. Verse 3 reads, but be free from pride-filled opinions. For they will only harm your cherished unity. You know what happens when, when, when a people, a body of believers, a community of faith are unified? Pride creeps in. And, and Paul says, beware of pride-filled opinions. And usually those pride-filled opinions are opinions of ourselves. We think of ourselves more highly than we ought. And what God is trying to do on this journey to purpose is strip us of our pride. Remember what, what, what he said in 1 Peter and also in James? He talks about that. He says, God resists the proud. You know what God does with the proud? He gives them the Heisman. He resists the proud. But what does he do to the humble? He gives grace. He gives grace to the humble. Be free from pride-filled opinions for they will only harm your cherished unity. Here it is. Don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts. I love that language. You know where self-promotion usually lurks? It lurks in the secrecy and the darkness of our hearts. Uh, yeah, we look like we're, 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 we're doing it for, for the good of everyone, but he calls it, he calls it self-promotion. And he said, don't allow it to hide. Don't allow it to find refuge in the secret places of your heart. What's your motivation for doing this? What was Joseph's motivation for saying, I had a dream and all of y'all gonna bow to me? It was self-promotion. It was self-seeking. It was all about him. And if that's the sum total of your dreams, that others will exist to serve you, you've missed the mark. And God's hand is not on it. God's hand of blessing and favor is not on it. I digress. He says, don't allow self-promotion to hide in your hearts, but in authentic humility, which infers that there is such a thing as false humility. But in authentic humility, listen to this, put others first and view others as more important than yourselves. That's the pride test. Joseph, can you put others first and view them as more important than you? Can you do that with your brothers? I know you're loved. I know you're your daddy's favorite. But now that you've been given this dream, can you put others first and esteem them highly? Uh, he goes on and says in verse four, abandon every display of selfishness. Abandon it. What's a display of selfishness? Selfishness when you come to your brothers and your mom and dad and say, all of y'all going to bow to me. He says, abandon it. Let it go. 
Flee from every display of selfishness that comes whenever you talk about your dream. Whenever you share your dream, whenever you cast vision, is it all me, 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 I, 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 mine, mine, mine. He says, abandon every display of selfishness. And then he goes on to say, possess a greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. Did you hear that converge as we prepare to take communion? Because that was the, the motif. That was the M.O., the modus operandi of our savage Jesus. I'll read it again. Possess greater concern for what matters to others instead of your own interests. You, you re realize that if Jesus was concerned about his own interests only, he would have called down a legion of angels to get him off that cross. But he was more concerned about our redemption. He was more concerned about our salvation and then verse 5 is where we end it says and consider the example that Jesus the anointed one has set before us let his mindset be your motivation hmm? let the mindset of Jesus the example of Jesus be what motivates you and I'll read that quickly no I won't read that I encourage you in your own personal devotion to revisit Philippians chapter 2 in whatever translation you choose I was reading from the passion translation but let his mindset be your motivation because when we pass the pride test we can continue our journey to fulfilling our God-ordained purpose. And that's my prayer for Converge Church. The pride test comes when the dream comes. But when the dream comes, there comes the second test, the pit test. And that's when the enemy comes against the dream. But it's from a place of humility and surrender to God that we win. Whether it's the pride test or the pit test. And so this morning, as we receive communion together, whatever selfish ambition, whatever self-seeking you have allowed to lurk, uh, that you've harbored in your heart, would you surrender it to God this morning? Would you lay it on the altar like this 17-year-old Joseph had to do? It was a 13-year process, but God gives you that invitation now. According to Genesis 37, but even more specifically, according to Philippians chapter 2, that his mindset will be your motivation so that you can pass not only the pit test, but first and foremost, test number one, the pride test. What is my motive? What's my motivation? Let's pray together. Father, we come to you now in Jesus' name and we acknowledge this to be a holy moment. You are so committed, Father, to the development of our character that, God, you will confront us with truth. You will confront us with the truth about ourselves. And, Father, for those of us who have been self-seeking, 
who have been motivated by selfishness and self-promotion, and even some self-preservation. As we come to your table this morning, we lay it all right there. Lord, search our hearts. And Father, if we, allowed, if we have allowed any pride or selfish ambition to find solace, to find refuge, to find an abode in our thinking, in our estimation of ourselves, God, forgive us. In this moment, we ask you, God, to cleanse us from anything that is contrary to your will for our lives. And we call it by name, pride. And Lord, we pray that as we surrender this morning and exchange pride for authentic humility, that we will receive the grace we need to win in every area of our lives. We exchange what we want for your mindset so that your mindset becomes our motivation in all that we do. We thank you for it now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Take now the emblem of his broken body and let me bless it. Father, we ask you to bless this symbol, this emblem of your broken body. We thank you that when you went to the cross, you had us on your mind. You personified selflessness. You personified what it looks like to live your life in order to serve a purpose greater than yourself. And so, Lord, this morning, we ask your blessing upon this emblem of your broken body. You didn't only say it, you demonstrated selflessness when you gave your life for us. So, Lord, as we do this, we make a new commitment to live with others as part of our plan and our consideration. In Jesus' name, take now and eat. Amen. Amen. And the scripture declares on the same night that Jesus was betrayed, he also took the cup and said, this is my blood which is shed for you. As often as you drink of this cup, you do it in remembrance of me. And once again, Lord, we, we ask your blessing on the cup. And as we prepare to receive this emblem of your shed blood, we thank you that your blood cleanses us and washes us of all selfishness, of self-promotion, of selfish ambition, and Lord, your blood also protects us against all the attacks, all the onslaughts of the adversary. That God, as we walk out these divine opportunities and we encounter demonic opposition, we thank you that you've already drawn a bloodline around us because the blood forgives, it heals, but it also protects. So thank you, Lord, for it. We thank you that this cup is blessed. As we drink of it, we do it with thanksgiving with gratitude and humility. Take now and drink. Glory to God. Glory to God. We're gonna continue in this atmosphere of worship as Converge Worship, our amazing team, leads us in worship. And we don't want you to disconnect or disengage. In fact, I challenge you, I exhort you, I admonish you, to stay on for the rest of the broadcast and worship. 
And as you do, I pray that God will invade every recess of your heart. In every place where pride and selfish ambition have lurked, that God will uproot it as you worship him. Let's worship together. God bless you. Sacrifice. I wanna burn. We wanna 
through the lens that you look at the world through. Father God, we love that you're no respecter of person. You value each and every one of us the same. You created us in your image. Father God, we love you for that. We thank you that our identity is in you. Not anything else around us, but our identity is in you. If you were impacted by today's message, we would love to hear from you. Maybe today's sermon was exactly what you needed to hear, or you prayed the prayer of salvation for the first time. If so, we would love to send you some information to help you kickstart your relationship with God. Or if you want more information on how to join our virtual family, email us at info at If you would like to partner with us financially, you can do so online safely and securely at www.weareconverged.com give. You can also text 77977, type in Converge Give and the dollar amount. You can also find all of this information on our mobile app. Simply open your app or Play Store, search Converge Church Plano and download the app. It's that easy. Thank you again for joining us for today's worship experience. We look forward to staying connected with you.